And my hope is that in 10 years time, there's much more of a, of a, of a uh, healthy balance between screen time and just regular activity, good for their, their brains as well as their, as their bodies. The world has never been changing more rapidly, dislocating the ways we work, learn and live. On the Learning Future podcast, we discuss the knowledge, skills and dispositions we all need for our learning future, exploring insights with world-class educators, researchers, policymakers and leaders from across industries and across the world. Hello and welcome to the Learning Future podcast. My, I am your host, Luca Parry, and today we're speaking with Nicholas Carlisle. Nicholas is a changemaker, lawyer and champion for social justice and children's well-being. He is currently the CEO of The Power of Zero, a global campaign to reshape early learning for an increasingly connected world by teaching young children the skills and values that they need. This campaign brings together leaders in technology with experts in children and non-government organizations from all over the world. Nicholas has a background in philosophy and ancient history, graduating from Oxford University, has worked as a barrister in Lincoln's Inn and served as chairman of the Amnesty International UK charity. He's also practiced as a child and family psychotherapist and founded and led No Bully, a US-based nonprofit with the mission to eradicate bullying and cyberbullying, an enormous problem worldwide. He has many accolades and has been recognized as a game changer by Tom's, as a champion of children's well-being by Ashoka, and by Hearts on Fire as a visionary thinker and leader. Nicholas, what a wonderful background you bring to the world. It's a delight to be speaking with you. Thank you, Luca. Uh, we start just with a, you know, a nice soft entry, which is what's something you learned recently? Well, I've been following the, the statistics on uh, children and going online because that's my, my current fascination. And I realized that this year, something remarkable happened. And that is that this is a tipping point we've reached. And in this year under COVID, with so much of school going online, we've reached this incredible statistic, and, the, and, and it's this. The majority of children across the world now spend the majority of their waking lives online interacting with a digital device. And that really wow. got me thinking. I know, it's just a wow moment because I often think Luke is a little bit like the, um, the fish in, in, in hot water. You know that story, like you put the fish in water and you slowly heat it up. Mm. I always feel for the fish with this story, but it's the popular. Yes. And, and, and it gets to the point where the fish uh, doesn't really recognize how much the water's heating up. And, I think it's a little bit like that with us. We don't quite recognize what an extraordinary change childhood is going through mm. because it's moved from a fairly active physical childhood that you and I had when we were growing up to sitting on our backsides most of the time, interacting with, with devices. That's what children are, are doing. And, and, and that is a profound change. I mean, if you think back in time and you look back to say, the Industrial Revolution, which is probably the, the last big change in childhood when, when children moved from the more agricultural settings and, and uh, had more urban-style classrooms. Mm. This is probably the biggest change since then. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of, I don't know what you think, I can't think of anything else as significant as that. Mm. Well, it, this is a remarkable place to start, of course, because COVID, dare I mention it, has just acted more than anything as an accelerant. And so we've seen trends, you know, 
pushed forward by a decade within, in some cases, a matter of months. E-commerce, for example, the amount of learning taking place in a fully digital realm. Yeah. And, of, and of course, we've done that through, in some ways, necessity or convenience. And yet, I don't think we really have, well, not, I, I doubt anyone's really stopped because it's hard to stop at the current moment in the world and really thought, what, is, what are going to be the long-term implications for this? I'm sure this will happen post-pandemic when we get there. But what do you see? Because this really is your realm. This has been your world now for, for many decades um, as a really an advocate for childhood and for children um, and a particular kind of childhood for that matter. You know, what is it, what do you want to share about what, you've, what you're noticing and what really is absolutely critical at this juncture? I think we do need to step back and ask what are the effects of childhood going online? Um, we wouldn't usually make this significant to change the way, for instance, we do education without giving it a lot of thought. Mm. And there'd be all sorts of policy papers upon it. But as, as you're kind of suggesting, um, we've suddenly shifted on education to online. I know it may back off somewhat as, as, as COVID backs off, but our friends at UNESCO mm. estimate that over a billion young people have school online right now. And, uh, well, let me rephrase that. A billion people have moved to, to remote learning and about three wow. quarters of that takes place online. And one of the, the wake up calls for me is realizing that we just assume that they're digital natives, that they should be able to, to handle this. Mm. And, we don't really give much thought to teaching them the sort of skills and values that they need as they move their lives online. And I think that's, that's kind of incredible. I, if, you, if you had a mm -hmm. child, and, and our interest at ParaZero is, is especially focused on, on young children, and we'll come to that. Mm. But if you had a, a young child, you wouldn't just put them on their, on their bike and send them off on the on the, on the uh, highway, um, at least with not a lot of without a lot of protection and, and training. But we're happy to send our, our young children off on the on the information superhighway with almost no guidance. Mm. And 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 I think that's madness. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. <laughs> it seems like and uh, because converging technologies have just been shifting so rapidly, uh, you know, there's a new device, you know, we just are used to there being a new device every year that can do profoundly more things in, you know, profoundly less time. Um, what are the skills? Let's go, let's go right to that, Nicholas, because if, if you're a parent listening to this or an educator, I mean, there are certainly questions being asked. And the answers aren't all that readily found, I don't think. I mean, we have some, some movement from the social dilemma and the idea of social media and its impact on well-being, for example, or let alone on kind of cognitive function to monotask and, and, and to do deep work, you know, the heavy cognitive lifting. What are the skills and values that, that at the power of zero and through the other work that you do, you think must be absolutely elevated and centralized? Well, at, at Power Zero, we've, we've brought together, people are being so generous with their time, so we, so we brought together an advisory group of 
really the leading researchers in young children and technology around the world. Mm. Uh, and and I'm deeply moving how much thought capital they, they've shared with us. And with their help, we've created this power wheel of, of, of 12 skills. Some of them are actually more values, but 12 skills and values that we say every young child needs. Um, I think those skills and values actually hold true for um, all the way through childhood into, into adolescence. And I would say, of, and you can see this on our website, uh, but, but the primary one, the most important one, I think, is emotional regulation. And, and here's why I, I think it's so important. So we've long known that probably the most important skill of early childhood is how a child understands and manages their feelings. If they don't get that right, that's why you see emotionally dysregulated children who can't concentrate, who have problems with their anger, problems with their aggression, or really kind of problems kind of navigating their social world because you need to be really tapped into your emotions to be able to, to determine when, when something feels right in, in a mm. social interaction or when you should be setting boundaries and saying, saying no. So emotional regulation has long been seen as, and I agree with this, as the most important skill of early childhood. So you then ask, well, what happens when children go online? And one of the, uh, the luminaries on our advisory group is Professor Jenny Radeski. So she is a very fascinating woman. She's been studying distracted parenting, and she's been studying essentially uh, distracted young children. So, because you need to look at what's happening for children from both those lenses, what's happening to their parents and what's, hap what's happening uh, when they go on online. Mm. And from her studies, she, she's, she tells us what we probably know already, but she actually measures it, that when you have a, uh, a, a parent who's with a young child and they're checking their messages on their phone, uh, or they're just busy at work, which is true right now. We're trying to do homeworking with our children in the, in the house at the same time. There are good reasons why that parent may be distracted by, by online. But what she's tracking is that you then have a, a gap. There's this phenomenon called displacement. Hmm. And what displacement's pointing to is that there's a core parent-child interaction where the child serves, the parent returns. They, they, uh, there's an emotional exchange that's constantly going back and forth. And it's through that process of serving and return that children learn to understand what they're feeling and to, and to modulate what they're, they're feeling. With the advent of online, with distracted parents and distracted children, you have significantly less of that. And you have right. significantly less of that you start to have children that aren't so sure what they're feeling, aren't so able to read social cues. So you might be asking, why does that matter? But, but what if you look at the broad um, data on children's emotional well-being, psychological well-being, what we're seeing, and this has been increasingly so in the last decade, is, is children who are more anxious, more distractible, uh, more depressed, and it's hard to tease out causation and correlation, but it seems a reasonable hypothesis that there's a connection between children 
not been so embedded in, in close relationships with their mm. caregivers and parents and even their teachers, and uh, a more distracted, irritable, anxious, depressed generation. Mm. Wow. I mean, it seems quite reasonable. It, it reminds me of the still face experiment as well, Nicholas, of when a mother with an infant, you know, responds and call response, call response, really building attachment, building healthy yeah. attachment. Yes. Uh, and then when the mother is asked then to hold a still face with no emotional expression and just stare blankly. And it's a torturous experiment to watch um, on YouTube. And if, if anyone Googles it, you know, still face experiment, they'll find it because you just see the child become more and more distressed as they don't get the necessary input, the necessary response from, you know, the most important person in their world. It's quite heartbreaking to be frank. So, I mean, it's, it's a really profound implications, which are um, making me slightly depressed and deeply concerned. <laughs> you know, what, what else do we need to say about this? And how do we get our way out of where we have gotten ourselves to? Well, the internet is an incredible thing. So what we, we, we want to be doing is, is teaching children the healthy use of the internet and the healthy use of their, of their digital devices. Mm. And I really want to stress the incredible potential of the internet for learning. We're seeing that right now. Yeah. Uh, for creativity. There's incredibly creative things done by, by children online. And, and obviously for, for entertainment. So we need to remember that. So the question mm. then is, how do you teach children to use the internet well? And I was talking to a couple of researchers in, in Portugal, and I think you might enjoy this um, experiment that they did. So they wanted to understand how children selected the apps that they, they use. That sounds a little geeky, but actually, given apps are our main portal into the internet and given that most children spend the majority of their time on the internet, yeah. it actually is pretty important. Yes, it is. Yeah. And uh, what they found was that young children were able to, they, what they, gave, they did is they gave young children a deck of cards with um, some of the more famous uh, Peppa Pig icons and YouTube Kids icons on them, the, the most famous kind of app icons on, on mm. them. And at the same time, they gave them a, card, a deck of cards with emojis on them. Right. Uh, feeling emojis so that the children could then associate different apps with different emojis. Mm -hmm. and, and what they found was that young children could very easily do that. Now, the significance of that, they were doing that simply to see how children chose what apps to go on, is that children can learn to be aware how an app makes them feel. Uh. If they can learn how an app makes them feel, they're then able to make much better choices about the apps where they should ideally be, um, and also make, start to make better choices about when to come off an app. Because the problem that we saw in The Social Dilemma, it's a very clever film that uh, it, it, it scared the bejesus out of, of most people, um, and I think maybe excessively so. Mm. But um, what it, it, it did show was how... Uh, applied psychology is being used by uh, the internet companies to draw our attention, to seduce our attention. Mm. 
So that's what young children are up against, but they need to learn the art of choice. And there's some fascinating research showing that if you take a, if you allow a young child to choose where they go on the internet and to start to have a little bit of a plan, a media plan, if you, if you like, mm. around how they spend their time, and then they're encouraged to follow that plan, they can follow that plan, they start to make much better choices, and uh, their emotional well-being is, is much, much better. Mm. Well, that is positive. It's, I, I want to ask you, where does the onus lie? Because this is an interesting question, I think, with everything in our world, between the individual responsibility and you, what you might consider the designer's responsibility of you know, working in the attention economy, for example. You know, I often feel like it's, it's David V. Goliath, um, and in the traditional sense, not in the Gladwell sense, that you know, if you're a young kid, it's the same thing with supermarkets that place their confectionery at the eye level of children and on, the, you know, on their way out. <laughs> and you know, parents doing their best to you know, have a healthy eating plan, you know, have just this sugar kind of aisle. It's just, it, it doesn't seem to be, it just seems pretty tough to really be able to resist the you know, core things like dopamine loops, which are built into so much of the different platforms that, that young children, all students and ourselves use. Um, so what, what's, yeah, what's your reflection on that? I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a pragmatist, Lucas. So, so uh, I, see the, I see the power of money and the, and the, and the huge revenues that are, that are raised through gaming. Um, and, uh, and I know that there are a lot of very smart people that are going to create incredibly engaging apps um, for, and games for, for children. Um, we do our best, I think at Karanga, we're doing our best to kind of raise awareness of the sort of responsibilities we hope that developers will, will, will um, bring to how they develop uh, the online for, for the internet of kids. Mm. Um, but the reality is children are going to be up against increasingly seductive apps. So, so uh, I'm answering this question about where does the onus lie by saying, well, actually, the reality is that that's, that's what children face. Yeah. So I think we need to use the power of education uh, to make children wise about what's going on. And maybe, and I think also wise about um, how the internet works. Mm-hmm. And, and one of my other um, uh, favorite areas right now is, is, is the idea of asking young children this question, what is the internet? <laughs> That's a great question. Because you need to, yeah, and, 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 I, and I think you get it, Luca, because you, you realize that uh, children need to kind of have a conception of what is this thing that's seemingly free that's so much fun mm. um, in order to arrive at a place of, of critical uh, thinking. Mm, mm. And um, armed with a better understanding of how the apps are trying to get their time. It's almost like you need to give them, you need to give all children sort of modifi- a modified version of, of, of the uh, Social Dilemma movie so that they, they can <laughs> They're really trying to grab my attention here and, and uh, I have some choice around this. I don't have to be seduced like this. Yeah, I, it's, a, it's, really, it's a really great question to ask. Um, what is the incident? Because of course, one of the pieces is, it's a it's free and then so if you're not paying for something as the old saying goes or perhaps you're not the customer you're the product um 
which is so often the case now with data as well in the whole world around how yeah. cookies and data and targeted ads follow us around the internet. Um, you know, and there are many theories about just how good they are getting and how often, you know, devices are listening. But it's yeah. certainly the case that the profiling that's occurred, as we saw with the Cambridge Analytica firestorm, has enormous implications for civic, uh, civil society and politics, let alone children's well-being. I wonder if what what are your what are your go-to strategies that you would share if we you know with a room full of educators or parents because I think everyone is aware of this at some differing level of depth and yet what we do about it um, practically is difficult to know. So, for example, are you an advocate for mobile phone free schooling or? blocks of time where that is the case in the home should there be a like a digital room and then a non-digital room what are some of the things that you've seen that work that you would you know could be pointers for for people that are trying to control um you know the healthy use of the remarkable technologies that we have it's it's a good question because it actually it it, it it brings us all back to our parenting philosophy or our education philosophy and, and where we are around how controlling or restrictive we are and how much we have a, a belief mm. in the efficacy of that. Um, I think that there clearly is, is a, a space for, for broadly based parental controls. And I think every, every parent should set those on their device. So there's some parameters um, for their children. Mm. Um, and I think children at the end of the day are super grateful for that. Clearly school has gone too far online. And uh, I think educators right now are grappling with how do we make sure, for instance, that there's more time to run around in the, in the daytime, mm. that we make sure that children uh, look away from their screens every, every 20 minutes. That's not just a little detail, nice thing to have. Children's myopia rates are going off the roof. So there's some very practical health-based things that we need to be doing in a world where children are more online. Mm. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the power of education is, is, is where I would be going. And, and at the end of the day, we need to be uh, teaching children social emotional skills that extend into their online world. And there's something funny that happens right now where we, we seem to believe that you just switch emotional intelligence off when you, you go online. And you switch social intelligence off when you go online. It seems like it's just optional at that point. <laughs> yeah. And for our own sake and for the sake of others online, those need to, it's as real online as offline. People have feelings online as well as offline. We know that. You know that. I know that. Mm. But there's a way we go on to a, a, a chat room or, or post comments and, and we feel like we can say anything because it's not quite real. Yeah. It's a it's an a it's a really peculiar feature, I think, of the of the online world. And I'd love you to share what you've learned through your work in bullying. Um, you know, with the cyberbullying and the anti-bullying work you've done with No Bully, which in some ways is is I don't know if if that would be an outcome of teaching the right skills and values from, you know, from the beginning. But you know, some terrible statistics you know one in three kids are bullied between ages of 11 and 13 i mean everyone's had some experience being bullied and probably being a bully so yeah because you're right the and you know being anonymous and the whole kind of crazy world of trolling 
um, it's a bit bizarre. What, what is it that we can do to try to reduce bullying um, in really, again, in ways from, from your experience? Well, I think there's a very chilling side of, of, of cyberbullying where posts go viral and it seems like there's no control over them. And, and certainly cyberbullying seems to amplify the effect of, 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 of traditional face-to-face -face bullying. Mm. But what the data is showing, Luca, is, is it's not actually increasing the overall number of children who are being bullied. Interesting. And, and go deeper into the data, what, we, what we're seeing is that in the majority of cases, not all, but the majority of cases, the children who are being bullied online are also being bullied face-to-face -face at school. Mm. So I started our anti-bullying program, um, which is now at Power Zero, the No Bully program, um, on the basis that schools were probably the most powerful location for countering bullying. Mm. And uh, what we've long believed is if if school leaders can create a, a school that's truly inclusive of all of all children because bullying is so much based on differences you start to see significant reductions in bullying so that's the first thing that you need to be doing is is, is seeing how can we make our school environment one that that where every student feels like they belong mm. but secondarily to that you're going to have still some incidents of bullying is is, is part of uh growing up in the sense that children are testing power, um, seeing how far they can, they, can, they can exert their muscles both online and, and, and offline. That doesn't condone it, but it, it means that we have to be ready to deal with incidents of bullying. And the, and the most powerful intervention that we found to turn it around is something called Solution Team. Right. Have you heard of that? No, you know? I haven't. Tell me about it. Well, what we found was that punishment makes it worse. Mm. It tends to, um, to drive bullying underground because people don't report it because they don't want to be the snitch. And um, it seems to actually lead to more retaliation against the, the target of bullying. Wow. If, you, if you reverse that, if you bring together the bullying students with three or four pro-social students, tell them they're not in trouble, and, and walk them into the shoes of the, of the student being bullied, like Nicholas is having or Lucas having the worst week of his life, no one talks to him. Uh, these are the sorts of things that have been said to him. He just doesn't want to live anymore. Um, they get it. And they get at the point that if you, if you frame that meeting right with that team, which we call the solution team, they will become engaged to stop the bullying. And I've seen this again and again. And what mm -hmm. our research is showing is that, is that that intervention solves about 87% of incidents of, of bullying. Wow. That's excellent. All through, power, all through the power of compassion. You're just, you're just walking them into the shoes of the students and saying, appealing to that basic empathy. Wow. It sounds somewhat like restorative justice, which is uh, in Australia what we often frame that as, you know, the idea, yeah, punishment, punishment sticks and carrots as opposed to a, a, a deeply human way of understanding the yes. impact that we have on others around us. Yeah, very, um, very similar, but you don't have to have the bully or the bullying students admit wrongdoing I see. before you start the intervention. And that's where, that's where people, schools often get stuck with restorative justice. Right. But with this method, it doesn't matter that they haven't, they, they haven't 
agreed to this. You just bring them all in the same room. They're little puzzles. And you have to really show the guys you're not in trouble, but we brought you here to, together to solve a problem. You're yeah, away. yeah, great. And the externalizing, externalizing in the first instance means people's walls aren't up, perhaps, um, from that That's perspective. Yeah. Wow, that sounds great. I'll have to look more into that. Um, oh, Nicholas, there's so many aspects of of childhood and of human growth and development. This is so interesting. I wonder if you cast us into the future, let's say 10 years, um, which is a lifetime, the current you know, experience of time. <laughs> what, what do you see the future of learning or the possibility for the future of learning, knowing that you know, the trends are more digital? You, know, you started this podcast with an outrageous statistic. Um, of where we are right now and that there's, you know, more, more, most, more the majority of children spend most of their time online rather than in the world offline. Um, where do you think we're going to be in 10 years? What's the problem? What, what should we be thinking about as we, as educators, parents, policymakers, designers, innovators, try to, you know, create experiences and environments that help young children and young people thrive? Well, first off, my hope is that we've, we've got past the digital divide because the reality is the majority of children are, are online um, and it just perpetuates injustice to have, as, as is the case right now, there are probably about 45% or so children who don't have access in primary school to any device of any sort. Yeah. Uh, really. So they're, they're losing out. Mm. Um, so hopefully we got past that. But I think also there's an awareness of, of life balance. And my hope is that in 10 years' time, there's much more of a, of a, of a uh, healthy balance between screen time and just regular activity, um, which children fundamentally need. They need to be going outside. They need to be doing physical exercise. It's good for their, their brains as well as their, as their bodies. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Final question from me, with everything we've covered and the really remarkable vantage point that you have and the impact you make, what is your take-home message for anyone that's listened to our conversation today? What do you think should, what do you want to offer them that can stick in their mind as they do their work and live in our, in the world in 2021? This This is one of the most significant social changes we're going through for decades right now. Um, my message to any of you is, is, is join us in this endeavor. ParaZero is, is a collaborative global campaign that brings together educators and, and parents uh, and, and philanthropists wanting to make sure that children grow up healthy in this internet age. So you can check us out at parazero.org. Parazero there is written with a number rather than the letter. Check us out and uh, you can reach me through that website. And if you're interested in joining in on this campaign, drop me a line. Mm, fantastic. Nicholas, thank you for the conversation today. And, and moreover, thanks for choosing to do this work. It matters. Thanks, Luca. It's a pleasure. Always. Be well. Thanks for listening to the Learning Future podcast. To find out more about our work, drop into thelearningfuture.com and follow us at Learning Future on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Here's to building a world of thriving learners together.